Part 1 of A Dialogue Between a Methodist and a Churchman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Dialogue Between a Methodist and a Churchman by William Law The Methodist read by David Barnes The Churchman read by Kirsten Ferreri Part 1 Say what you will, sir, I must still stand to it, that almost all the sermons of your bishops and curates for these last hundred years have been full of soul-destroying doctrine. Pray, what is that doctrine? It is the doctrine of salvation partly by faith and partly by works, or justification by faith and works. Salvation by faith and works is a plain and very intelligible scripture truth. But salvation partly by faith and partly by works is a false and groundless explication of the matter, proceeding either from art or ignorance. What sounder gospel truth than to say that we are saved by Jesus Christ, God and man? But what falser account could be given of it than to say that, if so, then we are saved partly by Jesus and partly by Christ, that Jesus does something and Christ adds the rest? For is not Jesus Christ as such the one undivided Saviour, with one undivided operation? And who can more endeavour to lose the meaning, and pervert the sense of this gospel truth, than he who considers Jesus as separately, and Christ as separately, doing their parts one after the other, the one making up what was wanting in the other towards the work of our salvation? Now, to separate faith from works in this matter, the one partly doing this and the other partly doing that, is in as full contrariety to Scripture, to all truth and the nature of the thing, as to separate Jesus from Christ. For as the one Saviour is manifested in and by Jesus Christ, one undivided person, so one salvation is manifested when faith is in work, and works are in faith, as Jesus is in Christ, and Christ is in Jesus. Again, how plain and good a scripture truth is this, that the loving of God with all the powers of the heart, soul, and spirit, and the loving our neighbor as ourselves, is the one true fulfilling of the whole law and prophets. But how falsely would this be set forth by him who should say that it is partly the love of God, and partly the love of our neighbor, the one adding that which the other wanted, and doing that which the other could not do, as if they were two separate things, which with their different powers make up the fulfilling of the law. For these two loves, or rather the two names of love, are in the strictest truth but one thing, one divine spirit of love, from one ground, full of one and the same operation, no more different or separable from one another than flame is different or separable from its flying upwards. Thus St. John, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. But he could not therefore be a liar, if the love of God was a different or separate thing from the love of our neighbor. Yet this is your friend's false and mistaken way of setting forth justification, if so it be. It is by faith and works, namely, his dividing them asunder from one another, and ascribing his own invented partlies and partlies, first to one and then to the other, all which is as mere fiction and full of the same absurdity as if some other scholar should with the like partlies set forth the state of a living creature, that is, if it is in a living state, it must be so, partly by life and partly by its living operations, as if life and its living operation were two distinct and separate things, that contributed their separate powers, and joined in their different actions to make and keep up a living creature. 
This, and not one jot less, is the absurdity of your partlies and partlies, ascribed to a justification supposed to be the effect of faith and works. For Christian faith and Christian works are as much one and the same indivisible thing as life is one and the same indivisible thing with its living operations. I can call all this nothing else but quibbling about words, and mere running away from the one only thing which ought to be debated, and that is, whether St. Paul hath not, over and over, placed the whole of justification in and by faith alone. Let me ask you, did you ever hear or read of a dead faith and a living faith? Or do you think the difference between them to be nothing at all, but that the one has as much of justification in it as the other? This is a trifling question, since you know as well as I do that our awakened preacher has expressly declared that there is dead faith, and that it is then dead when it worketh not by love. Well, then, if so, the matter stands thus. Works prove faith to be living. Want of works prove faith to be dead. And thence you conclude that it is a soul-destroying doctrine to teach Christians that they are to be saved by faith and works. Surely, sir, you are not quite awake. You are growing hot, my friend, but be as hot as you will. I must tell you in the words of Mr. B, that be you ever so sober, serious, just, and devout, you are still under the curse of God, provided you have any allowed reliance on your own good works, and think that they are to do something for you, and Christ to do the rest. In answer to this, I only say that be you and your friend ever so full of faith, so that you could remove mountains, you are still under the curse of God, provided you have any allowed reliance on your own faith, and think that it is to do something for you, and Christ to do the rest. For a reliance upon our own faith, and a reliance upon our own works, are just that same good thing, and equally contrary to the truth of faith and the truth of works. What true Methodist ever called true faith our own faith? Does not the Scripture say it is the gift of God? What true Christian ever called good works our own works? Does not Scripture say it is God who worketh in us both to will and to do? Now, if your faith may be called good and saving because it is God's gift and power within you, then a Christian's works may be called good and saving, or such as work out his salvation, because they are all wrought in God, and by his power working in him. But now, suppose one man to rely on his faith, and another to rely upon his works. Then they are both of them carnally minded, and the faith of the one and the works of the other are equally the same worthless filthy rags. On the other hand, do but as plain Scripture requires you, ascribe good works of the same original and divine power as a right faith must be ascribed to, and then faith and works are equally one power of God to salvation, because equally the same saving, redeeming, and sanctifying work of God in our souls. I wonder you should thus strive to puzzle and darken one of the greatest and most plain truths of the gospel. Can anything be more plain than the case of the Pharisee? God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, etc. Here you have works pleading their cause. Now how came the publican without any works, saying only, God be merciful to me, a sinner, to be justified rather than this good-working Pharisee? Can anything be more decisive than this? Let it then be supposed that the Pharisee had said, God, I thank thee that my faith is not like other men's faith. 
It needs not the help of fasting and praying, etc. I ask you, had this been a better Pharisee than the other? Had this boasting of faith been better than that boasting of works? Or might not Christ have justly said that the publican's God be merciful to me a sinner had more of God and goodness in it than the Pharisee's boasting of his solitary faith? But now, if such a passage as this, of a Pharisee boasting of a faith without works, was to be found in Scripture, and condemned by Christ, surely it would be great delusion to appeal to it as a full and decisive proof of the vanity and insignificancy of faith, and of its being rejected by Christ as of no avail. Yet this would be full as well, as to appeal to what Christ said of the Pharisees' boasted works, as a full proof that works are rejected by Christ as worse than nothing. Say what you will, I am fully assured of this great truth, thus expressed by our friend, that the moment a man seeks to be justified by his own obedience to God's laws, that moment he falls from Christ, and ceases to have an interest in him. Here just the same answer as before will be sufficient, that is, that the moment a man seeks to be saved or justified by his own faith in God, that moment he falls from Christ, and ceases to have an interest in him. This is just as good an argument against faith itself as your friend's is against works. For own faith and own obedience are at the same distance from God, and are as mere works of the flesh, as self-seeking and self-love. But if your friend would have spoken to the purpose of the matter in hand, he should have expressed himself thus, that is, that the moment a man seeks to be justified or made acceptable to God by works wrought by the Spirit of Christ living in him, that moment he falls from Christ and ceases to have an interest in him. Had he thus expressed himself, you see what an absurdity there had been in it. And yet, without thus expressing himself, his words are quite foreign to the matter, and touch not these works which are affirmed to be essential to a justifying faith. For the true Christian man never thinks or talks of being justified by any own obedience, any more than a being washed and saved by his own precious blood. But though he has no own obedience, no own works, any more than he has an own will and own love, yet he has an obedience and works, and will and love that reach heaven and unite with God. How so? It is because by the supernatural word and spirit of God, come to a fullness of birth in him, his obedience, his works, his will, his love, are that which they are, and do that which they do on earth, to the glory and by the same spirit of God, as angels do in heaven. This is the new creature that is justified by faith and works. Suppose faith to be not from Christ, or works not from Christ, and then they are both of them but works of the flesh. But add Christ to faith, and Christ to works, and then they are but one in the same power of God to salvation, and all difference between faith and works is lost, and nothing remaineth but Christ in us, the hope of glory. But your friend, forgetting or not knowing that no works are called salvation works, or pleaded for as such, but those that Christ worketh in us, considers and confounds all works as own works, and selfish works, and so condemns Christian works and the necessity of them, upon no other ground but because own works, which proceed from self, are false, vain, and unprofitable to our salvation, whereas our blessed Lord has in the plainest manner distinguished them from one another, and shown us when and how works are good and godly, and works of salvation, justification, and sanctification. When thou dost thine alms, saith he, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets, to be seen of men. 
Verily I say unto you, They have their reward. Here you see what an own work is, and why it has no salvation goodness in it. It is because it is done only to trumpet forth its own glory. Now, where anything like this trumpet goes along, either with that which we call faith, or works, though it should have ever so heavenly an appearance, it has only the nature, and can have only the reward, of vainglorious alms. God said to a holy prophet of old, Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Here is one kind of religious trumpet. The Pharisees were learned men, and full of religious zeal, and they had also their religious trumpet, which our Lord condemned. Therefore zeal and trumpeting are not good, and things to be trusted to, because they pretend religion, but may be as different from one another as a Pharisee is from a holy prophet. This ought to be well considered by all who set a trumpet to their mouths in God's cause, for if all that was alive in the trumpeting prophet be not alive in them, they will begin too soon and run before they are sent by God to preach of the true life and the true death to a world ignorant and careless about them. Again our Lord saith, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Very I say unto you, they have their reward, and can have no better reward, because he that thus prays makes prayers an own work of own glory, and therefore they are but an abomination before God. But now, will you from hence tell the world that alms and prayers are soul-destroying things, or at best mere filthy rags that signify nothing to him that uses them, because such alms and prayers are said to be so by Christ? For has not Christ in this very place taught you the direct contrary, and said as much of the salvation power of good works, as he has said of the nothingness of pharisaical works? When thou dost thine alms, saith he, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doth. And again, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Why is all this secrecy? It is that the whole work may be solely from and to and for God, and that self may have neither beginning nor end nor the least share of it. Now I ask, have these alms and these prayers nothing of salvation goodness in them, when our Lord therefore commands them that we may thereby obtain a reward in heaven? Can they help us to a reward in heaven without helping forward our salvation? If a heavenly reward follows such works as these, must they not on the same ground, in the strictest sense of the words, be called saving alms, saving prayers, as any faith from Adam to Abraham to this day can be called saving faith? What are all the promises made to the faith of the fathers, of a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God? What is that better and heavenly country, which was to be the reward of their faith, but these very rewards here promised by Christ to be the works of Christian alms and Christian prayers? Our blessed Lord's whole divine Sermon on the Mount is nothing else but a continual doctrine of good works, and a continual doctrine of such rewards as belong to the faithful, diligent workers. No blessedness is ascribed to a single faith, but all along to some one or other godly work. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do good to them that hate you, give to him that asketh you. But why all this? It is that you may be children of your Father, which is in heaven. Surely, then, such works as make us to be children of our Father, which is in heaven, may said to be saving works. Well, now I fully believe what a very great man has often said, 
that you have not one right thought or notion about justification. But however for once I must desire you to say what and when and where justification is. Surely I shall not be much mistaken if I shall venture to say, it is then and there where is no condemnation. Now St. Paul saith, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you ask him, who are those that are in Christ Jesus, he tells you, in the very next words, they are those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But no one doth, or can walk after the flesh, but he who doth the works of the flesh, nor any one walk after the Spirit, but he who doth the works of the Spirit. So then, whether you consider justification or condemnation, works are the whole of the matter. No condemnation but from our evil works, no justification but from our good works. Evil works are from the spirit of Satan, working and ruling in our animal birth of Adam's poisoned flesh and blood. Good works are from the spirit of Christ, working in that blessed seed of the woman, or incorruptible seed of the word, common to all men, till it comes to a birth of the new creature, created unto good works in Christ Jesus. Thus the works of the devil in us are our only condemnation, and the works of Christ in us are our only justification. And by thy works thou shalt be justified, is just the same scriptural immutable truth, as by thy works thou shalt be condemned. Would you see the truth of justification, and the truth of condemnation free from all possibility of mistake? Look how the righteous judge of all the world will proceed at the last day. Mankind is then to be divided into two sorts of people, the one called sheep, the other goats. To the sheep saith Christ, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Whence now comes this blessedness? Or how came they to be the blessed heirs of such a prepared kingdom? The one sole reason of it is thus given by Christ, namely because of their good works. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat, naked, and ye clothed me, sick and in prison, and ye visited me. Here you have the last, full and final justification, ascribed to nothing else but works done in and by and for Christ. Is there here any room left for you or any Christian to ask one single question, or have the least doubtful thought about justification, what it is and how it comes to pass? Can you be taught by a higher authority or in plainer words that works, Christian works, are all the justification that will stand you instead at the last day? Again, to the goats, saith Christ, Go ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Whence now have these goats their cursed state that cast them into the hell of the devil? The one sole reason given by Christ is because they had not done those works by which his sheep were justified and blessed, and made to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Here you have the last, full, and final condemnation ascribed to no one thing else but the want of works. And who is it that teaches you, but he who is the truth itself, and the father of all truth, both in men and angels? What occasion, then, for so many labored critical volumes about faith and works in order to justification? If you hold more or less or anything else about justification than that which Christ has here asserted, the spirit of Antichrist must have helped you to it. For call anything a justifying faith but good works, and then you have your doctrine as surely from Antichrist as if you were to hold that they were the blessed sheep whom Christ called goats and cursed. Christ is the one great infallible teacher about justification, and what he has said in two or three words about it can no more have anything taken from it, or added to it, or altered in it, than his last sentence on his judgment seat. 
Deceive not yourself, my friend, with a faith that hath not all its goodness, its truth, and perfection from works. For what greater deception can you fall under than to believe that anything can be your justification or your condemnation whilst you are in the body, but that which will be your justification or condemnation after you are risen from the dead? Now, after this determination of Christ, that nothing but works will pass for justification at the last day, look at the determination made by your friend, saying in the fullest contradiction of Christ that justification by faith and works is a most pernicious, papistical, and damnable doctrine, which doctrine, says he, I am verily assured no one can hold and be in a state of salvation. Is not every word here in full condemnation of Christ's doctrine of his sheep and their salvation through works, as a most pernicious and damnable doctrine, tending to the destruction of all those who believe it and walk according to it? For does he who preaches salvation by faith and works teach anything else but that very doctrine which Christ taught, when he said, Come ye blessed because of the works which ye have done, and go ye cursed because wanting the works which ye should have done? Say no more, then, that papists and popish Protestants have invented this damnable doctrine of faith and works. Christ is the author of it, and he has sealed it with the same certainty as the day of judgment. Your friend's verily assured is quite as outrageous and frantic as if he had said, I am verily assured that damnation will be the state of all preachers and hearers who do not as fully exclude works from justification now as Christ will require them for justification hereafter. But pray, sir, if I am to give up my friend's doctrine, must I not give up St. Paul also, as a deceiver and false apostle? For so he must be, if justification is by works. What are his epistles to the Romans, the Galatians, and Ephesians, but so much pains taken to prove that we are saved or justified by faith alone? I am as much for all St. Paul's doctrine as for any other scripture and fully believe that he said nothing about faith but what he said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But if you believe that St. Paul ever said one single word about faith, as it signifies a single act or operation of the mind, or that he ever distinguished or divided Christian faith from Christian works, you may be said to have read him with eyes that see not and ears that hear not. Surely your St. Paul and mine cannot be the same person, or you could never talk at this rate. I would ask you whether St. Peter taught a faith without works when he said to the Jews, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4:11 and 12. Now, did it ever come into your head, from reading these words of St. Peter, that he there taught a salvation through Christ, that is, through the gospel religion, by faith without works? See also what Christ himself had said before of this very stone, and the builders that rejected it. Therefore saith he, I say unto you, the kingdom of God, that is, this very stone, shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Matthew twenty-one forty-three. Now, would you, from these words of Christ, on which St. Peter's words are grounded, have ever thought of proving that the religion of the gospel, called by St. Peter the headstone of the corner, and by Christ the kingdom of God bringing forth its fruits, must be a religion of faith without works. What could be more extravagant than this, and yet not more so than to pretend to prove it from any words of St. Paul? 
for I defy any one to show that he hath ever said any more or other thing about faith alone, or meant anything else by it, as our salvation, but strictly and to a tittle, the same which St. Peter calls the stone, or that name alone by which salvation is to be had. St. Paul's faith alone is nothing else, means nothing else, but the gospel religion alone, and only attests that divine truth spoke from the beginning to the end of the New Testament, that the gospel dispensation, or religion, alone, can be the salvation of men. When St. Paul speaks of works as quite unprofitable, nay hurtful to salvation, nothing is meant by them but Jewish and heathenish works, and by that faith which he opposes to them and sets up in the stead of them, he always means the whole system of gospel truths, the whole process of Christ, with all the salvation doctrines that belong to it. This is St. Paul's faith alone, by which we only can be saved, just the same thing as St. Peter's saying, there is no other name under heaven but this alone by which we can be saved. The only difference between Peter and Paul is this, that Peter, in his short expression, calls that the name alone by which we can be saved, which Paul, in his short expression, calls faith alone, and both of them mean the whole of that which Christ calls the kingdom of God, with its fruits thereof which kingdom of God is neither more nor less than the whole gospel system of Christ's process, with all the benefits and doctrines essential or belonging to it. Away, then, with your idle fancy of Paul's ever distinguishing Christian faith from Christian works, or ever giving the smallest preference of the one to the other. To the Jews who said to Christ, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Christ saith, This is the work of God, that ye believe in him whom he hath sent. This, St. Paul's sole and whole doctrine about faith alone, it is to believe in Christ. And that belief is the whole Christian work, the whole work that God requires, the whole salvation work. But why so? Because to believe in Christ is to embrace all and the whole of that which Christ was, did, suffered, taught, and commanded, as the one only salvation of men. End of Part 1